0: About July 28th, Pelican Snow, right here, 311 Selden Road. I know, come on. I'm excited with you, Claudia. Nice. We did that for the first time last year, and we said we need to do that every summer, so we're gonna do it twice this summer. We're gonna do it uh, in July, and then we're gonna do it again in August, and uh, that's where we do our normal service, but then we all just hang out after uh, Pelican Snow was here. I think we do hot dogs, and we do a movie on the lawn for the kids, and cornhole, and it's just a great way to celebrate summer, so I hope that you make plans to join us uh, for that again, July 28th, and then also and again in August, that date we've gotta figure out. But the, and then also, it's just a, that's a great weekend bring a friend to church, right? It's a great weekend to hang out and, uh, and to get to know some people, and so we hope that you take advantage of that. So I know also that many of you have been praying for our team uh, that's been in the Dominican Republic all week, and those of us who have family members there are excited uh, for them to come home. Uh, technology being what it is is awesome because we're, it's like we're there, right? Back in the day when I was doing missions, right, you would, you'd go on a mission strip and then you get to talk to your family 10 days later you know, and so now, you know, there's Facebook and we're texting each other and calling each other on the phone. And it's so great. And, and I know some of you've been able to FaceTime some of your family members and they're going to come back with amazing stories. We always put together a little video montage of, uh, of that work. And so we just thank you, even though some of you have not gone You've gone in the sense that you've given. And so for the tens of thousands of dollars, we're going to be talking about this later in the service that this church gives every year through you to missions. Every dollar that comes in for missions goes right back out. None of it stays here. And and thousands of dollars are invested in this one community, in this village, La Guazara, in the Dominican Republic through Food for the Hungry. Latrines have been built, irrigation system, water filtration systems. And so we're about halfway through a 10-year plan uh, with this community to get them to a place of economic and financial self-reliance uh, and then also make a huge deposit uh, in their spiritual journey and, and talking with them about the gospel, doing vacation Bible schools in our heart that at some point there's going to be a church that's birthed uh, in that community as well. And so uh, we just thank you for your generosity and also for your prayers for that team uh, as they get back late tomorrow night. So we'll be excited to have them with us at church next week. So i'm excited too just over this next couple of weeks as we begin to break out for vacation we do the first two weeks of july uh, every year as a family so pastor uh, david is going to be preaching in two weeks who's our student ministries pastor and then chris house who does all of our worship and fine arts here he's been on staff with us for about four years but he's going to be stepping into the pulpit for the first time come on next saturday so that's going to be amazing. He's been at a conference uh, all week, and so we're excited. Uh, we, we usually try to disengage completely, but I, I'm, I'm pretty sure we're going to be uh, dialing into the live stream next Saturday night, cheering Chris on. I might be texting some people to shout, come on, that's good for me, since I'm not going to be here to do it myself. So Chris, is Fred here or not? He's going to be thinking, no, it's going to, right, I'm going to recruit some folks. Hey, um, this is Welcome Weekend, part three. So if you've been with us for uh, the last couple of weeks, we set these weekends aside uh, throughout the year to just talk about who we are as a church. Uh, And that just helps you, uh, those of you who are visiting, get to know who we are. So there are packets that look just like this uh, in the lobby there outside the sanctuary. Uh, And then also as you enter in uh, down by the cafe, there are packets there as well. And we just hope that you pick one of these up. There's forms in there to fill out for you to turn in if you want to. If you've got questions, we're easy to get a hold of. Hold up. Uh, but if you're here in the city, uh, maybe you're new to the area and you're looking for a church to call home uh, and you've got some questions, even if it's not this church, we'd love to help you. I was talking with someone before the service. It, it doesn't matter whether or not it's here, it just needs to be somewhere. you got to have a church that you firmly root your life in. That was all of last week's message. So all the messages every week uh, go on our website. You can listen to them and also the notes. We cover a lot of textual ground. So if you're a note taker, sometimes that can be frustrating. Uh, But also the PDF is uploaded uh, on there as well. And if you don't know how to do any of that, then just walk over to this section at the end of the service and one of these young people will help explain it to you. So Father, we just we thank you for this final week uh, in this Welcome Weekend series, and we know already, God, that you've been speaking to people's hearts here, uh, just what you've been doing prophetically through uh, our time of worship together. And I pray, Father, our hearts will stay open, our hearts will stay open for what you want to speak to us, what you want to sow into us, uh, what you want to ignite and inspire inside of us uh, as we talk tonight about engaging our life more fully to uh, engage your mission in Christ's name. Come on, and everybody said. Amen. We've been saying every week that every, every church should have a vision. And that means that there should be three things that are, that, are, that are easily explained to people for a church. There should be clarity when it comes to a church's vision. And we break our vision down into three things. There should be a message, there is a mission, and there is a moment. The message for us is heaven now, heaven forever. It's born out of John 10.10. It's born out of Psalm 27.13. It's this idea that when you make a vow of devotion to Christ, that that salvation is not about deferred gratification. It's not about giving up everything worth doing in this life so that you can step into the heaven with the capital H that's to come. Heaven now, heaven forever. We list that first heaven with a lowercase h because we recognize we're not going to experience all of heaven now But you can certainly experience some of it. That's what John 10.10, Jesus said, I've come that they might have life and have it to the fullest possible measure, which means that everything that Christianity says to you you can't do, it's protecting you from a life of mediocrity. We believe that the greatest adventure of this life, the greatest fulfillment you will ever have in this life is a life that's fully devoted to Christ. That's our message. Heaven now, heaven forever. Eternal life begins now. It doesn't begin after you die. Eternal life isn't just measured on the time continuum. It's measured on the depth continuum. Let's just talk about our moment. We've been talking about this for the last few weeks. Our moment is that your family from the first hello. From the moment you walk in, you should feel family, like your family here. We want you to feel welcomed here. That is not a church growth strategy for us. It is a a a, a desire that we have for you to experience a feeling that God has for you. For some of you, 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 maybe you're walking in tonight and this idea of having a relationship with with God is new for you. And and maybe you've you've grown up learning things about God that maybe aren't true. Maybe you think of God as just this distant being. Maybe you think of him as someone that's just waiting, lording over you, waiting for you to mess up. But that's not who the Bible says he is. It says that he's a loving father to you. And so we want you to feel like family from the first hello because we want you to see a countenance and experience an emotion that reflects what God feels And the expression on his face when he thinks of your name. And we have a mission. And that mission is this, that we are committed to being a church where people encounter God's presence. That's what we did a few weeks ago. Where we embrace God's family, that was last week. And where we engage God's mission, that's what we're going to be doing tonight. Our church is positional, relational, and sacrificial. Positional, relational, and sacrificial. I like this phrase, from his presence, with his family, toward his mission. From his presence, with his family, toward His mission. Week one, I taught you this phrase, encountering God's presence. City life is a place where we are intentionally positional, spiritually posturing ourselves in settings to encounter God's presence. Last week, I taught you this phrase about embracing God's family, that city life is a place where we are lovingly relational, creating a culture that inspires people to embrace God's family. Tonight, we're going to talk about engaging God's mission. And this is the phrase I want to teach you tonight that city life is a place where we are boldly sacrificial, boldly sacrificial, challenging one another to give ourselves fully and completely to engage God's mission. Let's read it one more time. City life is a place where we are boldly sacrificial, challenging one another to give ourselves fully and completely to engage God's mission. I love this verse in Psalm 32, 9. It says, do not be like a senseless horse Or mule that needs a bit or bridle to to keep it under control. I, I read this verse multiple times throughout the year because it is a powerful picture of what God is saying about you and I. If you've ever been on a horse before, if you've ever ridden before, you know that you don't want to be on that animal without a bridle in your hand that's connected to a bit in its mouth. Because otherwise you're at the mercy of whatever it wants to do. Right? It's your means to control that thing. And God is saying to you and I, he doesn't want us to be that way. He doesn't want to have a relationship with us where there needs to be a bridle in his hand and a bit in our mouth. What does that mean? It means that the desire of my heart should be so inclined to be in step with him that there's a willingness to just follow after God whatever direction he leads me into I don't want to be a devoter or follower of Christ that needs a bit in my mouth, a desire in my heart, and I want to be fully engaged in God's mission. I love these verses in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 through 8. Listen to Paul writing to his young protege. He's mentoring this young man. As for me, Paul writes of himself, my life has already been poured out as an offering to God. The time of my death is near. I have fought the good fight, I finished the race, and I have remained faithful and now the prize awaits me, the crown of righteousness. What's he talking about? He's talking about he's lived a life of heaven now and he's excited about the heaven forever that's waiting for him. Which the, which the Lord, the righteous judge will give me on the day of his return. And the prize is not just for me, listen to what he says, but for all who eagerly look forward to his appearing. The question is, are we gonna be able to say that about our lives when we're at the end? Because at some point, these verses are going to be true for us. At some point, we're going to be in a place where we're going to say, the time of my death is near. The question is, when you get to that place, will you be able to say of yourself, will other people say of you, they fought the good fight, they finished the race, they remained faithful. Were you the Psalm 32.9 person that did not need a bit and a bridle that was connected to your life, that your heart was just in step with God, and that you were fully engaged in the mission that he put you on this earth to accomplish? I want to be a person that can say that about my life, and I want to pastor a church that helps people be able to say that about themselves. There is a vast difference between being busy and being active You've heard me give you this definition before, this distinction. There is a vast difference between being busy and being active. We don't want you to leave here tonight with a compulsion to busyness. We want you to leave here tonight to be inspired to kingdom activity. Busyness is a coping mechanism to create a feeling of self-importance when our lives lack a meaningful purpose. Let me read it again. Busyness is a coping mechanism. I hear you're snapping out there. David God Godwin, be proud of you. Busyness is a coping mechanism to create a feeling of self-importance when our lives lack a meaningful purpose. Activity is focused work in pursuit of fulfilling a God-ordained mission. Activity is focused work in pursuit of fulfilling a God-ordained mission. Now, there's lots of missions that God has in this world. There's lots of things that he's trying to accomplish. And for all of us in this room, our individual mission, our individual purpose, and our individual destiny is gonna look a little bit differently than the person that's sitting next, next to us based on who we are. But can I just tell you tonight, there is one that we all share. No matter who you are, no matter how God's made you, no matter what he's called you to do, there is a mission of God that I would say is his transcendent mission, it's his ultimate mission, it's his final mission, and all of us are called to be a part of it. And we find it in Revelation twenty-two seventeen. 17, it says, the spirit and the bride, who's referring to Christ, say, come. Let anyone who hears this say, come. Let anyone who is thirsty Come. Let anyone who desires drink freely from the waters of life. God's ultimate purpose is to fill heaven with people who have found eternal life through Jesus Christ. That's his ultimate mission. Every other mission that he has in this life ultimately serves that one. And every other mission that you have and every other purpose that I have, collectively, all of them together are supposed to serve this one. That this church and our lives we need to be boldly sacrificial to give ourselves fully and completely to the work of making sure that the people that God has put us on this earth to reach, that we reach them with the mes- message of the gospel of Christ, that we're going to fill heaven. Why does God want to fill heaven? Now, the bigger message is another sermon for another time, but let's just give a little bit of history that's beyond this natural world. When we study this book, what we find is that before the earth was created, there was a rebellion in heaven. There was an angel of a significant authority and power by the name of Lucifer who led a rebellion. And certain texts and certain scholars, and we're in that stream, believe that he was able to convince a third of the angels of heaven to band with him in a rebellion. Now, how many of you know you've got to be a pretty good deceiver to convince divine beings that are already in heaven to rebel against God, right? I mean, that's good. And he got a third of them. They lost, they were cast out, and I believe that part of God's purpose for the creation of this earth and the creation of humanity is that he is at work building beings, you and I, to repopulate heaven, and he's doing it with people who now have a comparative experience. You've heard us preach a series on this before. Part of the reason why we experience hardship in this life, it's by God's design. We are not of the mindset that believes that Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3 was God's original plan for this world and Adam and Eve messed it up and then God had to come in and create a redemptive plan. No, that's not the story of the Bible. The story of the Bible that God created this earth and set into motion. He knew Adam and Eve were going to fall. He knew that humanity was going to end up in a place of depravity. He knew that his son was going to come and redeem us. All of this is part of the redemptive story so that when the Bible talks about one day there being a new heaven and a new earth, it's all of those who have embraced Christ that we're going to step into heaven and now, listen, we have a comparative experience we're not going to be susceptible like the angels who followed Lucifer in rebellion because all of us are going to go, oh, no, 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 I know what it's like to be separated from God. I don't want to have anything to do with that again. Right? This, this is the answer to the ultimate reason of why. That why God allows suffering. Does he cause it all? He does not. But does he allow it? He most certainly does. Because he wants you and I to step into the heaven with the capital H. And never forget what it was like to be separated from him. And 10,000 years could go by, and you're still gonna be just inspired to remain in his presence as you were from the first day you entered. That's the why. This is his purpose. And in Matthew 28, 19 to 20, he gives us our mandate now, we didn't have time to get to it last week, but if you weren't here, you can get that, again, that message through our website. But we talked about all of the things that the early church did to inspire people to, to be a part of a, a community, a spiritual community that like the likes of which the world had not yet known. And one of them, which we're moving to today's message, is, is the reason why they were, their hearts were so knit together is because they understood they had this mandate. They had a mandate that they had been given by the creator of the universe. And that mandate is here in Matthew 28, 19 to 20. It says, therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Verse 20, it says, teach these new disciples to obey all the commands that I have given you and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now, many of us are familiar with this text. It's the Great Commission. The Gospel of Mark gives us the Great Commission and adds a little bit of information that Matthew didn't give. And you put those two together and you find this mandate that is given to every devoted follower of Christ. That we have a responsibility to tell the world about Jesus. So that they can step into eternal life with us. So their comparative experience can now have eternal meaning. Now, when I look at this mandate, I find three distinct components to what the Holy Spirit inspired Matthew to write. The first one is this, is that there is a a proclaiming component to this mandate, a proclaiming component. Now, this is the part that most people connect with because it's the first part. But the problem is that oftentimes that part overshadows the other two components, which are equally important. The proclaiming component is this idea that you and I are called to the work of evangelism in this world. Now, for some of us, we're not evangelist-oriented. We're introverted, myself included. We have a tendency to be task-oriented, which means that we don't have as much time for people, right? You're with me. Preaching about myself, talking about some of you. The proclaiming part is difficult for some of us because it's not how we're wired, but how we're wired, our personality and how God himself made us because of what we're supposed to be oriented to do is not a permission slip that gets us out of the mandate that all of us have been called to. It might not be the primary work of our life, but it's got to be a part of the work of our life. None of us are excluded from the proclaiming aspects of Matthew 28. Just the other day, Ethan, our middle son, is getting his driver's license, and we were coming from Williamsburg, and so I said, hey, you want to drive home? And uh, he said, I'm 64. I said, yeah, why not? Hey, I know where I'm going when I die. I'm just kidding. (laughs) So he's like, all right, come on, let's, let's do it. I was like, all right, come on. That's how, you gotta learn. That's how you learn. Now he's done some driving around the neighborhood, so we're not throwing com- caution completely into the wind. And as soon as we get on, it was awesome, right? As soon as we get on, there was a dr- dump truck, this big, huge red dump truck got on and we just tucked right in behind that dump truck and we followed that dump truck like a running back behind a left tackle all the way to Newport News, <laughs> right? We just got in behind, just, I said, Ethan, you just stay right here. Right? And we're just, we just all the way, he just cleared the way. I think there was an angel driving that thing. It was fantastic. And then we had all kinds of errands to run while we were in Newport News, so lots of going to different places and parking, and it was the perfect day, right, for learning how to how to drive. And one of our stops, we went into this one store, and there was a person that came up to help us and acted like an employee, but they weren't dressed like an employee, and, and you could smell alcohol on their breath. And so, you know, this is me, right? I got stuff to do. I got a list. I got to make all these stops. I got to accomplish all these things, and... And I really don't like talking to people all the time necessarily because I'm an introvert, right? And so all of a sudden I realized this person is an employee on their day off. Clearly they've been drinking and now they've come in to hang out and now they're interacting with the customers that are in the store, right? So, you know, of course, you know, I'm thinking to myself, does her boss know that she's here? They shouldn't allow this, right? These are all the things. So I, I, we end up getting what we need, leaving the store. And of course, right, you're thinking it right now. I'm like, you're a pastor. What's wrong with you, right? Yeah, because what's wrong with me is the same thing that's wrong with you, is that I'm a human being, and sometimes we miss it. I remember driving away. I was joking with you. I was like, why didn't, why didn't I give her a reach card? Why, did, why didn't I talk with her, Right. The reason is because sometimes we're not naturally oriented to evangelism which means that it takes intentionality. It means that you got to do self-talk. Like if you're a parent and you do our parenting class in the fall, you know this is one of the things that we teach you to do when you're pulling up to a place, you talk to your kids about what you expect of them. You go through, right? If they're old enough when we walk in, you're going to say hello, you're going to make eye contact, right? You're setting them up for success. We got we got for some of us, we have to do this for ourselves. We do. We gotta talk to this part of us as we're out that day. So so we left that and we had to go to the next place. So I'm talking to myself. When we get to this next place, if there's an opportunity, right? You got right? I'm giving myself a pep talk. So sure enough, almost immediately, we get to the next place, and all of a sudden, there's just this window. It was like the dump truck on 64. It's like God just made it easy, but it wasn't so much that he was making it easy as much as it was that I was focused and looking for the opportunity. So I'm able to invite this young girl to church and give her a reach card. It turns out that she's got a child with special needs, and so I'm talking to her about the buddy system and... This is the life that we're called to live. We can get so caught up in our own doing, the busyness of life, that we miss the activity of life that's eternally significant. All of us are gonna have days like the day that I had where sometimes we leave and we go, I missed it. But that's gotta inspire us to get it right the next time. If you've made a vow of devotion to Christ, the answer to the question of life is inside of you. And people out there are desperate to know what it is. And for sometimes it's just as simple as inviting them to come into a community like this and there's an opportunity for them to encounter God's presence, to embrace God's family, and to begin to learn and get a vision that they too have a purpose. Luke 14, 15 to 24. Luke 14, 15 to 24. I'm not preaching for the next two weeks, so I'm preaching this entire message. (laughs) Hearing this, a man sitting at the table with Jesus exclaimed. What a blessing it will be to attend a banquet in the kingdom of God. And Jesus replied with this story, a man prepared a great feast and sent out many invitations. And when the banquet was ready, he sent his servant to tell the guests, come, the banquet is ready. But they began to give excuses. Now I'm not going to read the rest of this. It goes through verse 24 for the sake of time. But we worked through this parable together as a leadership team uh, last month. And we were joking that God created this parable for the City Life Church. Because this is what it's like to invite people to church when we meet on Saturday nights. Everybody's got something to do. You with me? It's, It's not easy work to be a church that meets on Saturday because so many other things are happening on Saturday. And Sunday, for most people, stays open Now, there's lots of reasons why we meet on Saturday, and it's in this packet. We tell the story, and if you've got questions, then we'd love to have that conversation with you, but we know we're in the place that God has positioned us. But this parable, I'm giving it to you, and we talked about it with our leaders. It means that you and I are going to have to work a little bit harder for the invitation because there's busyness and activity that's meaningful happening on Saturdays. It means that you've got to invite more and talk to more people. It means that people that are supposed to be a part of this community, that it's our responsibility to make sure they get the invitation. Not everybody in the city is supposed to be a part of the City Life Church. We understand that, but you better believe some people are. There are, there are people in this city and it's God put them here in this city because there's something about this community that's gonna reach them. You and I have the responsibility to be the servant in Luke chapter 14 that doesn't give up at the first no. You and I have the responsibility to be the servant in Luke 14 that trusts that the master set the right time and the right day for the banquet. You and I have to be the servant in Luke 14 that trusts that the meal that the master has prepared is going to exactly be what the person who's attending needs to feast upon for their soul. There is a proclaiming, a proclaiming component to the Great Commission. It's interesting as you look at Ephesians chapter 4 and you read about five of the, the, the giftings that God identifies that are supposed to build the church throughout history that each one of them relate to one of these components. The first one is this idea of an evangelist. And then in Ephesians 4, you also find out about pastors and teachers, and that's part of the maturing component. So Matthew 28, the Great Commission, has a proclaiming component. It also has a maturing component, a maturing component. Pastors and teachers, this is what we're called for, is to help people grow. Evangelists are called to spread the gospel, and we're called to help grow the disciple. Maturing, a maturing component. Listen to this right here. Let's read it again together. It says, teach these new disciples to obey all the commands that I have given you. What's he talking about? He's talking about maturation. He's talking about spiritual maturity. He's saying that, hey, once you share with them the gospel and they make a vow of devotion to Christ, the journey's just beginning. Now you've got to go on a journey together of discipleship. We give these, they're free if you're new to us and you've never gotten one of these books. Ask somebody in a blue shirt, but this is how we do discipleship here at the City Life Church. The one, the six, the 12, and the 24. You you can leave here tonight knowing exactly how you can begin to feel empowered in your life to grow in your faith. And then when you immerse yourself in a community and begin to take these steps, I'm telling you, you will change. You will grow. The analogy is that of the natural world. You you create a spiritually healthy environment. I'm telling you, the virtues of Christ, the character of Christ will begin to flourish in you, the principle of displacement, and it will begin to push out the other things that don't belong. We have a whole website that we've dedicated to it called Let's Praxis, P-R-A-X-I-S, letspraxis.com. You can go there, get this book, go to that website. But just like the proclaiming part of the great commission and some of us are not oriented to evangelism can we just agree for some of us we're not oriented we're not oriented to the work of discipleship the the 12 pathways that we talk about in here it requires discipline it requires ordering your life it requires focus. And for some of you, based on your personality, based on how you choose to live life, maybe you're more whimsical. Maybe you're more carefree. Maybe the the idea of structure is, 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 right, it makes you cringe a little bit, right? It's just like the idea of the proclaiming mandate is that there's a maturing mandate. And even if your personality is not given to the challenge of structure and growing and marking and measuring your life and setting goals, can I just, tell you you don't get a free pass you don't get a free pass God expects all of us to grow and mature there's a proclaiming mandate in the great commission there's a maturing mandate in the great commission and the third part listen to this is a reproducing mandate in the great commission this is one of the most misunderstood parts of this text it's this last part where he says and be sure of this I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now, most of us, we read that, and the first thing that we think of is that that's Jesus comforting us. Now, is there a comforting component to what he's saying? I think it is, but I think for Jesus, it's secondary, even, and it might not even be secondary. I think it's somewhere down the line. I think we read that text and we use that because most of us who grew up in the church, that's what we were taught in Vacation Bible School, Well, that made sense when we were little because that's what we talk about is contextualize the Bible for the audience. The problem is for many of us theologically, we're stuck in vacation Bible school. Christianity is a flannel story for us, right? And so it made sense when we were little that somebody would read this verse and say, Jesus is always going to be there with you. But I don't think that's what Jesus was talking about primarily. I think it's fair, I think it's appropriate. But when you put this in context with what we see that's happening in the book of Acts that looks back to the moment he gives the Great Commission, before he ascends into heaven, before a a group of more than 500 people, what we find is that these are Jesus' last instructions to humanity before he ascends to heaven. And when he says... To you and to me, I'm gonna be with you always to the ends of the earth. I think what he's saying is hey, this work that I started, we're just beginning. I I know that I'm not gonna be physically present, but I'm gonna be omnipresent through the Holy Spirit. And guess what? We're gonna keep doing the work that we just started together. I'm going to be here marshalling the troops, directing you. This thing's going to build and grow. We're going to change the world, and we are going to fill heaven with people. I think when he says, I'm going to be with you always, I think he's saying to you and to me that I'm going to be there to direct this thing. I'm not going to be physically present like I used to be, but it's going to enable me to be present everywhere at the same time. Because his goal was to reproduce Everything that he had started, it was to multiply. This idea of I'm going to be with you always to the ends of the earth is a mandate to the church to keep growing, to keep building, to keep reaching, to keep proclaiming, to keep maturing. And as you keep proclaiming and as you keep maturing and the church keeps growing, then you've got to keep multiplying and sending those churches around the world, which has been happening for 2,000 years. I hope you see the Great Commission in a whole new light. It's not about proclamation. It's also about maturation. It's about reproduction. There's a reason why in Ephesians 4, Paul talks about evangelists, pastors, teachers, and this last one's apostles and prophets. That's part of how things get started. People that are called to apostolic ministry and prophetic ministry, they have a tend to ignite things. And so oftentimes they go in first and it gets stirred up. They ignite, there's growing, there's spreading, proclaiming, maturing, and reproducing. That's the mandate that you and I have been given. And we're not gonna get it done unless we're boldly sacrificial. We're not. When you get to the end of the Gospels and start reading the Acts of the Apostles and then work your way through the Pauline epistles and the other letters, building up to the book of Revelation, if there's any one theme that you continue to find again and again is that first century Christians and every century they came after that, leading all the way up to the canonization of Scripture, you find that they were boldly sacrificial because they understood that this mandate had eternal meaning and eternal significance. Let me just give you some of them. Our time, our talents, our intellectual capacity, our emotional energy, and our money. All of these have got to be on our list of things that we're willing to make bold sacrifices with. you got to make bold sacrifices with your time if you're going to fully engage God's mission. You got to make bold sacrifices with your time. And can I just tell you, it starts with what we talk about in this book. The 12, let me just, the 12 pathways. Let me just read them to you. Scripture, worship, prayer, fasting, gathering, relationship, reaching, accountability, rest, generosity, stewardship, and service. Those are the pathways. Many people call them spiritual disciplines. We call them pathways because they take you somewhere. It is the engine of our discipleship model. When you walk in the 12, you obey the six, which are the six commands of Christ. All the teachings of Christ can trace back to these six commands. If you're going to obey these six commands, it's because you're devoting yourself to a life of discipleship, which is the invitation, which Paul gives to the church of Corinth, follow me as I follow Christ. When I accept the one, I have to obey the six. And to obey the six, I walk in the 12. And when I walk in the 12, I become the 24, which is the character of Christ, the 24 virtues. And then we give you the text that we pull all of that out of. Can I just tell you, you're not going to do these things unless you're boldly sacrificial with your time. Because it takes time to read your Bible. It takes time to pray. It takes time to pursue relationships. It takes time to gather. It takes time to serve, right? You go through this list. It takes time. For some of you, you don't do any of those 12 because your life is like a balloon and you've blown it up full of busyness and there's no more room for it to stretch. For some of you, you've got to deflate the balloon of your life. You've got to let some air of the busyness out so the activity of the kingdom can enter in and your life can be complete. You're going to have to make bold sacrifices with your time. You're going to have to make bold sacrifices with your talents. Bold sacrifices with your talents. I love Eric Reese's book. I reference it multiple times every year. It's called SHAPE. It's an acronym for spiritual gifts, hearts, desires, natural abilities, personality, and life experience. And the premise of his book is that function follows form. If you want to really begin to figure out specifically what you're supposed to do in this life with God, it begins by understanding your shape. And when you begin to understand your shape, you begin to see your function. It begins to be clear. Part of that means that then you've got to take that shape and put it to work in God's kingdom which means that you've got to make bold sacrifices with your talents. Your talents and your giftedness wasn't just given to you to earn a certain standard of living. It wasn't just gifted to you so that you could enjoy certain hobbies. Is that part of it? Sure it is. But the most significant part of it is that you've got to understand the unique abilities that you have and all these other things that Eric Reese talks about and your first que- their first question should be how am I leveraging these things to fully engage the mission of God to fill heaven with people. Bold sacrifices with our time, bold sacrifices with our talents, bold sacrifices with our intellectual capacity. That's what I was telling the story about on the day that I was running errands. I was that person. My intellectual capacity was was fully taxed, and I didn't have room to even be thoughtful in consideration intellectually about the opportunities that were in front of me. We've got to make bold sacrifices with our intellectual capacity. If the life that you're living right now, it's just all that you can do just to get by, because you're just frazzled in your thought life, it could be that maybe you're just in a season, and I get those seasons, right? Maybe you just had a baby. Maybe you just moved or you just got a new job. We get it. Sometimes our intellectual capacity, it's just it's all that we can do to make it through the day. But can I just tell you, you can't live there. You can't live there. At some point, you got to settle into the season. you got to grow into the season. And at some point, there has to be a restoration of bandwidth in your mind to think about the things that God wants you to do in this life. you got to make bold sacrifices with your intellectual capacity. you got to make bold sacrifices with your emotional energy. There's intellectual capacity, but then there's also emotional energy. And both of those are important they're important because when i was in that one store not only did i not have the intellectual capacity to recognize what i was supposed to be doing with this moment i also did not have compassion for that person in my heart you tracking with me cuz we're not just supposed to go through the motions to engage people with the gospel We're not just supposed to go through the motions to invite people into community. There's got to be intellectual capacity to be focused on what I'm supposed to be doing in the moment. But I also have to have some room in my heart so I'm not a robot as I do it. God didn't send an emissary. He sent his son because he loves us. And if my invitation, if my sharing of the gospel, which most certainly is informational at first if it does not carry with it a feeling of love and care and an acceptance i guarantee you it will be seed like the parable and it will fall on hard ground it is my feeling in the moment when the invitation is given that helps that seed find itself into some fertile soil i've got to make bold sacrifices with my emotional energy, with my intellectual capacity, with my talents, with my time, and I'm saying to you, you've got to do it as well. We've got to make bold sacrifices with our money. We've got to do it. We talked about it last week and we're hitting it again. We're talking about it. We talked about tithing last week, and this week I just want to touch a little bit about missions giving. The missions giving that we do in this church, it's important. It helps us support groups like Established Footsteps and people that are going into the strip strip clubs. It helps us pay for the project expenses. People pay their own way to go on the trip itself. It's about $2,000 to go down to the DR. But there's thousands of dollars that the church pays through your missions giving for the project expense, for the latrines and and the water filtration systems and all the administrative costs to help pay for the guides and the people from Food for the Hungry so that our work there can be effectual. Missions giving is an important part of who we are here. And it should be an important part of your financial plan. We hope that there's cards out here. And uh, uh, every Saturday, our missions giving card. And there's an opportunity if you're new to the church to pray about not just your normal tithe that you give, right? If this is the church that you call home, but there should also be something you set aside every month just to give to the work of missions, We support missionaries every month. There's projects that we invest in, 100% of that money. Tens of thousands of dollars flows into both of our campuses every year for missions, and all of it goes right back out. Every penny goes right back out. There's something on that card called Faith Promise. We'll be talking more about that as the summer goes on. Some of the Faith Promise stories have started to come in. On that card, there's a place for you to talk about what you'd be willing to commit every month to help support what we're doing locally and overseas. That's specifically missions in nature. But there's also a part for you to do a faith promise. It means that you pray, God gives you a number, you don't know where that money's gonna come from, but you stand in a place of faith and you make a promise that when he gives it, you'll give it. I'm gonna be sharing a story in the end of July that's come in. It's just, it's remarkable, this story. And you might say, well, if he does it, then I'll do it. And what I would say is, then you're never going to have it because part of the journey is what God wants to do in you to experience the kind of thing that this story that I'm going to be sharing with you in the next couple of weeks. We did a little bit of a combination this year with our monthly commitment to missions giving and our faith promise. We had a a monthly amount that we knew practically looking at our budget that we could give. And then I put my faith promise on top of that and said, if the money is there every month that I'm going to give twice Twice what we're committed to give to missions every month above our tithe, which is 10% of our gross annual income. Every month from January, we've been able to give twice what that is. Why is that? Because sometimes God wants you to stand in a place of faith. He, He wants us to experience the miracle of his provision. Listen to this. You've got to believe God for something in your finances that's beyond your own benefit you got to believe God for something in your finances that's beyond your own benefit. And if you're new to our church, you know that we have incredible accountability with all the finances. We do open books here. Our business meeting is hours long. We do it at the end of February every year. There's a document that we put out that's about this thick. Every line item talks about all the money that comes in, all the money that goes out, the budget. We've got a finance team. You can't be related to staff or uh, on staff to be on that. Those are the people that make decisions about salaries. I'm t- the, the, the health of this church by way of stewardship, it's stronger. It's, I would put it against any other church that you could find. There's so much openness, so much accountability. It is a safe place for you to give. Just like in the story of Scripture, Jerusalem was built because God sent Nehemiah and Ezra. There has to be leadership and a pastor prophet. And for our church to be successful, that we've got to have infrastructure, the ministry of Nehemiah has to be present in the house, but there also has to be the work of Ezra here as well. And when you put those two things together, like we're seeing happen here at City Life, there are great things that are going to come. If you're looking for a place to serve, we've got some places for you to get involved. We're outgrowing that nursery in there. How awesome is that? We're going to have to expand that, which means that we're going to have to increase the number of childcare workers. We're going to have to start a a brand new classroom to pull together an age group out. You might say, well, I'm not sure I want to work with kids. And what I would say to you, well, how about you work there until you figure out what you're supposed to do? Sometimes getting involved isn't about where you're fulfilled, it's about serving. And sometimes you earn the right to be fulfilled through the service that you offer to the Lord. we've, We've been in such a season of so many visitors that are coming week in and week out, what we're realizing is that our mechanism to engage visitors isn't enough. It's, it's like the, the, the boats and the gospels with the miraculous catch and the nets are tearing. And so we know that in addition to what the Saturday Life team does now to engage visitors and what we all do organically, that we need to have a, a, a whole other team in our church. We need to have a welcome center. We're talking about renovating one of the classrooms here. You might say, well, don't you rent this space? Yes, we do. But why wouldn't we want to make an investment in a building that belongs to another church? So if you don't have a place where you're serving, then I would say you need to talk to Jennifer and Cameron Muro, who are passing over the baton of of the the of of uh, Kid Life Care to to Saber and Scotty Moriarty. They're going to be taking that over, and Jen and Cam are going to be tasked with launching this whole new visiting, welcoming, greeting team, which we don't have a name for yet. It's not going to be that. <laughs> they would have to wear two T-shirts to put all of that on there. But you get what I'm saying. There's a place for you to get involved. There's a place for you to make bold sacrifices with your time and your talents here on Saturday nights. I'm gonna invite the worship team to come back up. Look at that, come on, 626. God answered your prayer. For some of you, that's the first prayer you've ever prayed. Oh, dear God, let this preacher get it done by 630. In Acts chapter one, you know what you find? You find that they waited. They were intentionally positional. You know what in Acts 2? You know what you find? You find they welcomed. They were lovingly relational. In Acts 3, you know what you find? They went. They were boldly sacrificial. This story that we've been telling you for the last three weeks about the story of the City Life Church is the story of the first century church. They waited, they welcomed, and they went. They were positional, relational, and sacrificial. And that's who we want to be. That's who they were in the first century and they turned the world upside down. And that's who we want to be here in 2018 and beyond. We're not the only church that has a heart to be these things, but I can guarantee you we're one of them. And we're asking you to be a part of it. Stand with me. Father, I just go back to that moment where we started for every person that's in here tonight that feels far from you. I pray that if it hasn't happened for them already, that over these next few moments, they will feel closer to you than they ever have before. And for the person that's here, God, it's not all of their life. And maybe it's just a part of their life. And maybe it's the part of their life. And maybe it's one of the things that we talked about tonight. I pray that they would boldly look towards the heavens and say to the King of glory, enter in to me. In Jesus' name, come on, let's worship together.